Our Bible passage today is found in, <laughs> and I didn't write it down, it's Luke 22. No, it isn't. It's John 14. I'm sorry. John 14. So you could turn in your Bibles with John 14 or follow along. It's page uh, 1067 in the Pew Bible. So let's stand together out of reverence for God's Word. John 14, 1 through 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Of course, these are the words of Jesus. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, are not just my own, rather it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Father, that is such a remarkable promise. It is, it is an unbelievable promise, and it's hard for us to believe it because it seems so unbelievable. But Lord, give us faith to believe beyond what our logic would tell us, that we may do the, the great things that bring glory to the Father that you had promised, that you promised here would be a part of us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you do above what we ask or think in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Have you noticed that people may do some rather strange things or go to extraordinary lengths to accomplish a purpose? Think, for example, about surprise parties. There's a lot of effort that goes into planning a lot of these surprise parties. And there's more effort to give them, and probably even more effort 
that goes into making sure that those who are to be honored are properly surprised. Surprise parties make people feel really special and precious, and, and they create very special memories. It's fun to anticipate a special event. And Jesus spoke of many special events to his disciples on the night of the Lord's Supper, what we also call the Last Supper. For that was his last meal before his arrest and trial and crucifixion. And here are a few high points of what he said that night. For he knew exactly what was going to happen. He had told the apostles again and again that his kingdom was not of this world. He told them his enemies would kill him, but that he would rise again. Now there's a special event, the resurrection. But they just didn't get it. It didn't sink in. Who could imagine that such a thing could happen to the Son of God, the Messiah, their Lord? It seemed impossible that man could do such a thing as killing the one who calmed the seas and walked on the water. Jesus said, something even more outrageous then. Because he said very plainly that one of them would betray him and that they would all fall away. Now that seemed so preposterous that Peter declared, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and death. Peter may have been thinking, Jesus is so powerful, he can't go to prison and death. Maybe, maybe not, speculation. But he may have been. Ah. Jesus answered Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. That's Luke 22, 33 through 34. And it's also found at the end of the 13th chapter of John. But then Jesus shifts gears very rapidly and he declares some of the most familiar and comforting words in the whole Bible. John 14, verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you that you also may be where I am. Again, that's John 14, 1. Did you hear the promise? Did you hear the special event? Jesus is coming again. Now at the ascension, when Jesus went back into heaven to his father, which was just a few weeks later, the angels repeated this great truth. Now one might say that the whole Bible is put together about the great truth of the coming of Jesus. For Genesis through, Genesis through Malachi, all of the Old Testament proclaims Jesus is coming. 
And in the Gospels, they proclaim Jesus is here. And the other 23 books of the New Testament are centered around that great truth that Jesus is coming again. And the Bible says he will come in the clouds with great glory. When he comes, some will rejoice. And those who love him will be absolutely enraptured and welcome him, having unspeakable joy. And others will be terrified as the Lord surprises them. For the coming of the Lord will be like a thief in the night. That's First Thessalonians 5, 2. And, and that the, the import of this is that the thief comes with surprise. And many will be surprised at his coming. Now, Christians who are full of rapturous joy at this event will welcome him as a long-awaited friend. And 1 Thessalonians 4.17 says, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up with the dead in Christ to greet and meet the Lord in the air. And that will be kind of like a wonderful surprise party for the Christians who are ready, whose lamps are burning bright. Oh, it'll be thrilling. It'll be exciting. It'll be a day of rejoicing and glory for us. But many, including some church people, will be troubled and terrified because they'll be reminded of what Paul says in Galatians 6, 7, that we reap what we sow. Now in his book, Just Like Jesus, Max Lucado shares an old story about a man who conned his way into a, the orchestra of the Emperor of China. This is probably a made-up story, but it illustrates a point. Now the trouble with this orchestra is there was a pretender in it. There was a, a man who was a really good pretender and he would bring his flute up to his lips and pretend to play and not make a sound because he couldn't read a note. But the being in the orchestra paid well and he received a salary and had a very comfortable life as a part of the orchestra. Then one day the emperor came to the orchestra requesting a solo from each musician. Of course, the man was terrified since he couldn't play. So since he was a pretender, he pretended to be sick. But he did not fool the royal physician. And on the day that his solo performance was to be, the imposter took poison and killed himself rather than suffer the shame. Now that suicide story, interestingly enough, has become an idiom or a saying that is used throughout the world when people say, he couldn't face the music. He couldn't face the music. It's all too easy to pretend to be a part of God's great orchestra, the church, 
by blending in and going through the motions, no one notices. The imposters say the right things. They go to the right places. They hang out with the right people. But on the day that Jesus comes, there will be no hiding, there will be no pretending. We will all stand alone before the all-knowing, omniscient God and give an account of our lives, our decisions, and our relationship with Jesus. Second Thessalonians 1.7 says that this will happen. We will give this account when the Lord is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. And some will rejoice on that day. And as we have said, others will have terror as they suddenly realize it's too late and they will reap what they have sown and their gamble with eternity future is lost. Now God, of course, gives us freedom to make our own choices and our own decisions. But we followers of Jesus have a responsibility to inform and warn the world that we will be accountable to Jesus who is coming again so that they may make intelligent choices. We are to remind all that whatever decisions we make may have eternal consequences. So when Jesus comes, surprise, surprise, to many, in fact, maybe to all of us, in some way, as no one knows the day or the hour, according to Matthew uh, 24, 36. And that's why we must constantly be ready. We must be prayed up, as the old timers used to say. We, we, we should be cleansed with our lamps burning brightly. And that's why God calls us to help others get ready too, because his love is not only expressed to us, but to all. We have a storm on the, uh, on the screen. And there was a terrible storm that was raging, maybe even worse than this. And it was at dark, it wasn't during the day. Storms are always more threatening after dark, it seems. But Reverend Dave Stone's wife was due to soon birth their third child. And Reverend Stone was praying God's blessing and care for his wife and soon-to-be-born child. And he was praying with his two other children, his two other girls, and suddenly one of the girls interrupted him and said to God, Lord, is this the last day? Now in childish wisdom, she may have been thinking about 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 4, which says, when people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. I could see a child thinking that, that that might be uh, what's going on. God is waiting, and he is willing 
and he is wanting to forgive. He has postponed the judgment to give people more time to witness our lives and hear our words of truth and salvation and healing. But eventually God's postponement of justice, of judgment will end. His patience will be replaced by justice and evil will be dealt with. How many of you remember the Tonight Show? That's getting to be a while in the past. And most of the older ones, not a lot of the younger ones. <laughs> um, years ago, the late Billy Graham was a guest of Johnny Carson on the Tonight Show. And Carson asked him, Billy, what do you think would happen if Jesus came to earth today again? And he said, I'll bet we would do him in again. In other words, I'll bet you we would kill him again. But Billy Graham leaned forward and said, Johnny, Jesus said he would return. But the first time he came in love. And the next time he'll come in power and no one will do him in. When Jesus comes again, he won't have to announce his arrival, for every eye will see him, every knee will bow. So when you see a glorious being riding on a cloud and the sound of the trumpet sounding, it will be Jesus. There's something very interesting in our Capitol building. And I think we should have the Capitol building out here, unless I'm mixed up. There we go. In the rotunda in the dome of the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., there is this inscription. One God, one law, one element, and one far-off divine event to which the whole creation moves. Now that divine event, the second coming of Jesus, that, that great surprise event may not be as far off as we think. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, no one knows. But everyone who is wise will be prepared. And how many of us knew that those founding fathers and those architects of our country and the architects of our Capitol building declared in stone that Jesus is coming again. Isn't that cool? We forget that sometimes in our efforts to be a, an inclusive people. Well, in May 19th, 1845, two British ships were boarded by 129 of England's finest sailors. And they were sailing toward the Arctic. Their task was to chart a northwest passage around the northern border of Canada to the Pacific. These two ships, their names are the Erebus, which means darkness in Greek, and the other ship was the Terror. 
The captain, Sir John Franklin, had hoped that this effort would be the turning point in the exploration of the Arctic. And in a sense it was because it failed dismally. The ships never returned. Every crew member perished. And future Arctic explorers learned that it is impossible to to over-prepare, that it's necessary and wise to prepare for the journey. Or we might say more appropriately, to prepare properly for the journey because they were well prepared in many ways. But Commander Franklin had only a 12-day supply of coal for the steam engine. They thought they could depend on sails. And they probably needed quite a bit of coal to heat the quarters on the ship. So they didn't calculate enough coal for the steam engine. But they had lots of entertainment. They, uh, they had a 12,000 volume library on the ships. They had an organ, a hand organ. And being British, they certainly had to follow etiquette and style and grace. And so they had cut glass wine goblets on the ships and sterling silver flatware, such as might be found in an officer's club in the Royal Navy. It kind of sounds like they were preparing more for a Caribbean cruise than an Arctic expedition. And years later, silver place settings were found near some partly cannibalized, frozen bodies. This was kind of inevitable on the ships that couldn't move on their own because they didn't have enough coal. It was only a matter of time before ice coated the deck. The spars and the rigging were coated with ice and then the sea froze around the rudders and the ships were trapped. They were trapped in the ice for two years. They had three years of provisions, but they were trapped for two years. But after two years, you might imagine malnutrition was setting in because they didn't have all the right kinds of food. And it probably did because the Eskimos report seeing sailors dragging a wooden boat across the ice and they say that these men were sick. They didn't have much strength. And indeed a boat was discovered years later that contained the bodies of 35 men. Other Eskimos say they found a tent on the ice with 30 more men in it, all dead. As I said, not a one survived that quest to find the Northwest Passage. And, and isn't it rather strange how knowledgeable men, who had, many of who had been on Arctic expeditions before, could embark on such a perilous journey, more equipped for an afternoon tea 
perhaps than an Arctic expedition. But even stranger yet, we often do the same. Just like Franklin and his crews, we sometimes act as if life is just a cruise. We have little fuel, but lots of entertainment. We seem more concerned with looking good and having the proper uniforms and etiquette than with being prepared. But you gotta remember, they're British. They're all about etiquette. We seem to give equal priority to table settings than to survival gear. And sometimes we have less thought about how to get to the destination than to silverware and etiquette. But these are all important things to the 19th century British mind. And so survival gear may have been a little shorter than it should have been. And they may have been somewhat unprepared for their quest. Now everyone please understand that if we go to eternity unprepared, that's not God's fault. And I'll say it again, that we sometimes act as if life is just a cruise. We have little fuel, but lots of entertainment. It's kind of like the 10 virgins of the Bible. And uh, would anybody happen to know where that is? What chapter that would be in? That would be Matthew 25. And I'm going to let you look it up. I'm not going to talk about it. If we sail unprepared, it's not God's fault. It isn't God's fault if we miss eternal life. He left detailed instructions. His word is our map. The Holy Spirit is our guide. He's our compass. He outlined the route and he described the landmarks. And some of those landmarks are the signs or the fruits that Jesus said would be characteristic of those who follow him. And if we follow those signs or fruits and the words and the wisdom of the word, we trust that we will stand before him and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now what chapter in Matthew do you suppose that might be in? It's Matthew 25, the same as the last reference. Sadly, many who are churched and unchurched will choose not to prepare. And in so doing, they will choose to follow the broad and easy road to destruction, as Jesus said. The gospel is that Jesus is coming again for those, for those who love and serve him. And none of us knows if we will meet him before he comes through death or whether we will meet him at his coming. But I want to be ready. I want all of you to be ready as well. 
And we preach messages like this, and pastor prepares messages like this, not because we want his coming to be doom and gloom for anybody, although it will be that for too many, and the Bible is pretty clear that it will be a, a day of terror for the unredeemed. But we preach messages like this because we want this to be a day of joy and gladness and happiness as we are united through Jesus with faithful loved ones that we have lost long ago as we are reunited and gathered together at the very feet of Jesus. And we want it to be so that rather than hearing the terrible words, depart from me, I never knew you, may we hear well done. Would anybody happen to know where those words depart from me, I never knew you, are? It's Matthew 25. Now I want everyone to be a part of his family, don't you? Ah, come on, I ought to get a few amens to that. Christ binds us together as brothers and sisters with God our Father and He our brother. And I want us all to please be sure that we are safe as part of His family by being sure, listen carefully, by being sure that you love Him and serve Him out of love for He is our Lord and Savior. It's our privilege to make known the joy that we have and invite others to share that joy. It's our privilege to lift each other up when we fall, to strengthen each other in our weakness, and to cry together, and to pray together, and to rejoice together. Now these are some great and really some very intimate privileges that we have. So please, please, please receive, if you've not never surrendered your life to Christ and invited him into your life, receive God's offer of forgiveness of sins through Christ and his offer of a heavenly home and a really fun and wise heavenly family and enjoy the surprise party with them. Would anyone say amen to that? Amen. That'll be a very, very cool day.